Hallelujah. Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord. Beautiful building you guys got going on. And that light is shining like the glory of God. Amen. So good to be in the house. So good to see all of y'all and um, to worship with you. I, I don't know Grace Point Church yet, uh, but I'm looking forward to meeting some of you as well. And again, to hug you and uh, uh, meeting Pastor Sizemore. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I debated whether I should uh, shave off a couple whiskers I've got going on here. <laughs> And then I got here and uh, met Pastor Sizemore. And I thought to myself, I think I'm going to love that man. Amen. Uh, he's all right. Amen. Um, so uh, we couldn't be here for in Cincinnati for our the New Year's service. I was down and out with covid and so I knew y'all didn't want me around. Amen. Um, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. I was uh, actually kind of excited when I got it because I heard that um, it took your appetite away. I'm gonna t don't believe everything <laughs> you hear out there. I've got $700 Uber Eats receipts. <laughs> Prove that that's not true. Um, I thought I would give you um, a little uh, life update on us as a family. Um, uh, uh, Caleb, Micah, and I are going to be moving to uh, the state of California in June. And <laughs> the state of California in June, right to the gates of hell. Amen. I'm going to let y'all know right now. Uh, we don't agree with their politics. Uh, and we don't agree with the uh, $2,600 rent for a 1,200 square foot home in a roach infested neighborhood. Um, but that's where we feel like God is leading us. Um, we just got voted in about Three weeks ago today, uh, just a small little church out in the middle of the Inland Empire. And uh, so we will be out there and God is changing our assignment. And we thought I'd, I thought I'd let you guys know because I know I, I'm telling you because I know that you will pray for me. I know that. And so that's why I'm, I'm depositing that. But we will uh, still be, I still, I'll still be traveling somewhat. And um, so it's not a final, you know, goodbye. We'll, well, I'll still be out here uh, quite a bit. I want to go right into the word of the Lord in the book of Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 14 through verse 18. Verse 14 through verse 18. Appreciate the urchins and all that they mean to us and our family. And uh, we moved to the Midwest two years ago, almost two years ago now, uh, partly because we knew we would be in close proximity to you. And uh, that was one of my selling points to my boys. We're going to be closer to the urchins. 
And um, let me tell you how that went. In two years, when I first got here, when I first got to Indianapolis, the very first week I had Joel over and I said, I cannot wait for Heidi to do her magic in this house. And uh, we're going to decorate it and we're going to, two years later, there's not a picture up in my house. But we're thankful for First Lady Heidi and all that she does and doesn't do. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 18, the Bible reads us so in the name of Jesus Christ. Do all things without complaining. I'm done. Altar call. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I want to speak to you here several minutes on this subject, the high cost of complaint the high cost of complaint father we come before you and we ask that you would talk to us as we go into your word give me the wisdom to be honest with the text to bring it forth in a manner that is understandable and may your people not just hear but may they also ascertain what it is that you would want them to learn from this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated all over this building. Y'all, and before I start, can I just say, because I wasn't here uh, for New Year's, I, I already miss Bishop Buller. Amen. I, I remember every time I'd come in and uh, he, he was such a kind man, a loving man. And every single time I would uh, finish my message, he would come and give me a hug and say, that was an absolute masterpiece. Just a masterpiece. And that's why I loved coming to this church. <laughs> so I'm going to need somebody to get a double portion of that spirit. And tell me that my message was a masterpiece. We live in a society that thrives on complaining, complaining. Every generation seems to be giving birth to another generation of uh, new complainers. And the problem seems to be getting worse with each passing generation. How ironic to me that nations that seem to be more indulged and more advanced are the very ones who are leading the charge as it pertains to complainers. There seems to be a correlation between how much people possess and how much complaining possesses them. See, we live in a culture where our young people are discontent just about everything. They love to complain about everything. Nothing is ever the way they would like it. They go through life not finding enjoyment in any one thing. This generation has resurrected the spirit of protest, the spirit that was 
alive and well in the 60s and 70s has been resurrected in our day. We protest everything nowadays. So much so that I read the other day that a group of students went to their professor, professor at Harvard and said, we have a group that would like to protest. Do you know of any good causes? It's as if the protest is more important than the cause itself. That's the kind of generation we're living in, a generation of complainers. And before you sit there and judge your neighbor, some of you spouses are going, mm-hmm, preach it. Um, may I suggest that you are not exempt from that problem. We are all complainers. If you don't believe me, then let me just uh, reference real quick. Traffic jams. What does that make you feel? You complain about traffic jams. We complain about fast drivers on the road. But if there's anything worse than a fast driver, it's a slow driver. The Lord rebuked them. We complain about long lines. We complain about crying babies on a plane. We complain about bad grammar. How many grammar police in the house here today? I'm going to tell you right now, I am the grammar chief of police. We complain about lukewarm food. Uh, we complain about misspelled names at Starbucks. We complain about the government. We complain about gas prices. Uh, we complain, and Lord, teach me to preach to myself, because this morning I woke up and the Bitcoin prices, uh, you know, we complain about washing dishes. We complain about people who wear Crocs in public, <laughs> especially if they're wearing them with tube socks. Amen. Amen. Those are the same kind of people that frequent Walmart after 8 p.m. We complain about cold water in the shower, no hot water, and on and on and on. We are, by nature, complainers. And the same spirit has transferred into the church. Services are too long. Services are too short. No Sunday night. Oh, we have a Sunday night. Too modern or too old school. Music is too loud or not enough ushers. Pastor's wife isn't as involved. And in some churches, pastor's wife is too involved. They ask her too much money. No one shook my hand. And on and on and on. We just love to complain. There is a sense in which complaining is characteristic of our culture, but there's also a sense in which uh, complaining is not unique to our culture. As a matter of fact, complaining can be traced all the way back to the beginning. The first complaining human being who ever walked the earth was the first human being who ever walked the earth, and his name was Adam. God the woman you gave me. That was the first complaint. The woman you gave. I'm going to tell you right now. Some complaints are legitimate. <laughs> that wasn't me. But complaining did not stop with Adam. Cain complained about 
God's judgment. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Moses complained to God in Exodus chapter 4. Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Aaron and Miriam complained against Moses in Exodus chapter 12 because of the Cushite woman whom Moses had married. Jonah complained that because he was mad that God saved the Ninevites and the Bible is full from its inception of people who just knew how to complain and complain and complain. Now, when the Bible talks about complaining, it informs us that there are two ways to come to God with our complaints. There is an acceptable way to complain before the Lord. And then there is a sinful way to come before God with our complaints. To be temporarily dissatisfied with something or someone is not inherently sinful. It is simply the expression of our human condition. As we await our glorification, there is dissatisfaction within us in this natural world. That is normal. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in uh, Romans chapter 8 that we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons. See, we groan, we groan inwardly, groaning before the Lord over something that is causing dissatisfaction is an honest expression of what it's like to experience the trouble, the anguish, and the grief of living in this fallen and futile world. God does not mind that kind of complaining. That is not only does he not mind it, but uh, there are times when he asks for it. He wants you to bring your cares to him. Uh, all throughout the book of Psalms, especially the Psalms of lament, God teaches us how to properly come before him with our complaint. In the book of Psalms 142, verse 1 and 2, David said, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. You see, the Psalms of lament teach us that it is okay to go before our God with our sorrows and our anger and our fear and our longing and our confusion and our desolation and even our disappointments and depression. It is okay to go before the Lord with these. However, there is a way to do it correctly. After our complaint is all said and done, it is important that we also acknowledge that even though it hurts, and that even though the pain is legitimate, we still trust God's sovereignty in spite of it all. Almost every psalm of lament calls the lamenting soul to trust in God and to put its faith in God. Take, for example, Psalm 42, starting in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. That's lament. While they continually say to me, where is your God? That's lament. That is complaint. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. That's lament. That is complaint. With the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept the pilgrim 
feast. I used to do all of these things. That is lament. But right after he laments before the Lord in verse 5, then he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. You see, it's okay to lament. It's okay to go before the Lord with your complaint. Oh, with your humanness. As long as you acknowledge that God is still God. That God is still good. That God is still in control. That he still sits upon the throne. As long as you wipe out the tears and after you've poured out your complaint and demand, uh, after you've poured out your complaint, you raise up and demand your soul praises him because he's never left you nor has he forsaken you. You demand it of your soul. You don't, don't stay in the complaint, but you demand of your soul. Oh soul, he's never left me before. Oh soul, he's Shira. He will provide. You shall be content. Don't you ever forget any of his benefits. God has been good to you. But there's another way to complain before the Lord. And our text simply says, do all things without complaint. Do all things without complaining. That's the New King James Version. The NIV Version, for those who are backsliders, says, <laughs> do all things without grumbling, grumbling. And then the King James Version says, do all things for the Pharisees, do all things without murmuring, murmuring. All of these terms are different elements of the same sin. Complaining, grumbling, murmuring. The Bible warns us over and over again, don't do it. Don't do it. It's, it's a really bad sin. Don't do it. You see, grumbling isn't just the expression of dissatisfaction uh, to God. You know, when you're going before the Lord and, 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 and claiming dissatisfaction, that's not what grumbling is. Rather, grumbling is the expression of dissatisfaction against God. Whether you know it or not, grumbling is dissatisfaction against God. At the end of grumbling, there is no encouragement of the soul. There is no wiping away the tears and hoping in the Lord, but there is still resentment there. When you're through praying, there is still a, a bitterness of the soul over the course of your life and, and where you are and, and what you're doing and where you find yourself. Murmuring is like saying to God, I know the steps of a good man are supposed to be ordered by you, but I don't trust that you have ordered my particular steps correctly. You see, at the root, at the root of grumbling, it declares that God is not sufficiently good, that God is not sufficiently faithful, that God is not sufficiently loving or wise or all-powerful, and that if he were, he wouldn't have you in the situation that you're in right now. When you grumble, you are passing judgment on God's reign over his created world. When we grumble, we cast doubt on the faithfulness and the providence of God. 
God. We are essentially saying that if God were good, he would treat us better. He would run the universe differently. He would have us in mind next time he forgot about us. Grumbling is a dangerous sin. It is a very presumptuous sin where you feel like you are entitled to something more than you're getting. Grumbling is believing that you deserve better than what God has allowed in your life. And I know you've heard this before, but be careful when you ask for what you deserve. Because if we all got what we deserve, none of us would be here right now. That is the spirit of grumbling. It's a spirit of murmuring. It's a spirit of complaining. In the book of Jude, grumbling and complaining is characteristic of false teachers and apostates. These are grumblers, Jude said, complainers, walking according to their own lust. It's a spirit of complaining and murmuring and grumbling. In our text, complaining is characteristic of people who give Christianity a bad name. Christians who grumble give Christianity a bad name. The, the Bible said, do all things without complaining and without disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In other words, the way that the people out there will see that you are blameless and a true Christian is when you do all things without complaint, without murmuring, when there's not a spirit in you that's always saying, well, I wish I was somewhere else and I I wish this wasn't my lot in life and I wish I didn't have this and this to deal with and it says when you do that you become a witness to the world that this is how Christians ought to live your witness before the world is at stake when you live a life full of grumbling you are testifying to the world hey I'm saved but I'm not enjoying my salvation I'm a Christian but I'm not happy I serve a God who is forcing me to live a lifestyle against my will. There is no joy unspeakable and full of glory in my life. I don't walk to church with a pep in my step. Oh no, there's no peace that passeth all understanding. Friends, that is a serious sin before the Lord. Some people have made grumbling a very normal part of their existence. And they have made it a lifestyle to show a strong discontent for every aspect of their lives. They're discontent. They're di they are discontent with home, discontent with school, discontent with church and family and their lot in life and relationship status and marriage and where they live and how little they have and how little they know and the kind of family they grew up in and how they look and their handicap and their illnesses and their weaknesses and, and so much more and everything just makes you grumble and why am I a single and why did that man leave me and why am I married and why am I married to him and and this is the complaint and complaint and they're just discontent and dissatisfied and always lacking something and they just always seem to come up short of the goal and we just don't have enough and and why am I not rich yet and I've worked all of my life and have nothing to show for it and can I tell you 
you that is the sin of complaining not just to God, but against God. The Greek word used in our text for complaining is gongusmas, gongusmas. And can I tell you, it is an onomatopoeic word. And let me explain that because I know some of you thought I was speaking in tongues. Let me tell you, this is an onomatopoeic word, which is a word that is formed from the very sound associated with its name. The definition of the word is in the sound itself. For example, Boom, boom. The, the uh, definition of boom is exactly that. It's the sound. It's an explosion of some sort or click. You know, click here. What does click mean? It's the sound that gives it the definition. It's supposed to relate. And, and gongusmas is the same thing in, in the Greek. In the Greek tense here, it is supposed to sound like what it sounds like to grumble or to murmur whenever a person in that age heard Gongusmas, gongusmas. It wasn't a word with a, you know, with a, with a, with a formal definition. The sound itself was supposed to help you know what it meant when you're gongusmasing. Amen. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that gongusmas, it sounds a lot, in, an equivalent in our English name, it sounds a lot like meh, 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 meh. That's what that sounds like to us in our English language. By definition, gongusmas is a secret displeasure that is not openly avowed. What I'm talking about today is not just the action of murmuring, but rather it is the attitude of the heart. It is a heart that is constantly going, oh, I don't like this. Oh, I'm not for this. Oh, why do we have to? Oh, are you serious? Oh, it's going to get me out of my comfort zone oh this job oh this life oh where i am oh this church oh i just can't stand it and that's just a spirit that gets a hold of you and every step of the way that's just what you want to do and every, oh my wife oh, my husband oh these dumb kids and some are legitimate The Bible is very clear about how that attitude is a serious sin. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 9 and verse 20, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Why have you made me like this? You know what we are? We are clay. We are clay. We are dirt. We don't ever, you've never seen clay stand up and go, I don't want to be a pot. I don't want to be this. I don't want to be that. Clay is just there for the molding. Clay just says, whatever the potter wants to make me, here I am. Let me conform. It may hurt in certain areas. You may have to do it two or three times, but go right ahead. I'm moldable. I'm teachable. I'm just going to sit here and just take it. You're the potter. You know what's best. You know how to bring value to my life. And this is what Paul says. 
the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 37 through 39, it says, who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? For those of you thinking, Ooh, oh, the Lord has forgotten me. The Lord, the Lord just doesn't know where I'm at. I've been praying and I've been seeking and I've, I've had, and oh, I'm just suffering and I'm just this and I just don't understand it. And this illness or this handicapped child and this marriage and I just don't get, it's the, the Lord. Lord just doesn't know. Let, let, let me tell you, the lamentation said, who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? Nothing that has ever happened in this life has taken your God by surprise. Before the foundation of the world, God already knew what steps your life was going to take and he ordered your steps. And then verse 38 says, does not Hey, be careful for those who think, well, this wasn't, God was not, he didn't know about this. Listen, listen to what it said. Does not the Most High send both calamity and good? It is God who sends calamity and good. And then why should we mere humans complain when we are punished for our sins? This is Bible. It says, why shall you complain when you're being punished for your sins. In other words, sinners don't have a right to complain. It is not your world. It is not formed for your glory. It is not formed. This world was not formed for your liking. This is God's world. He is the potter. He knows how to handle. He knows what road you take. And it is his will that is perfect, good, and acceptable. the attitude many possess in life how come I'm not married why was I born so short legitimate beef right there <laughs> amen I'm looking at some of y'all I'm like you know God makes exceptions sometimes that's legitimate why am I so tall why am I so big bone why did I grow up with such a, a big nose or handicapped or why is my family so dysfunctional that happens around Christmas all the time that question why couldn't I be born in a wealthy home I have no idea whoever complained about that it's the spirit of gungusmas it's the spirit of meh 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 and everything's just and how are you doing brother Diaz and what about your children and and what about you know your lot in life and how's your love life when Job struggled with his afflictions he found it impossible not to grumble that God would let him, a righteous man, suffer greatly. He, he didn't like his lot in life. He said, I sacrificed daily. I prayed over my children. I served you. I served you. And many of us read that story and think, well, Job kind of had a right to grumble. I mean, he was perfect. He was a, a man after God's own heart. Wouldn't you? He, he, he lost his family. He lost his house. He lost his money. He lost his health. He lost everything. He lost his wealth. He lost everything it seemed. He seemingly had a right to complain. And the Lord patiently heard all of his complaints 
And finally, God said, all right, now I'm ready to answer back. And in the book of Job, in chapter 38, this is what the Lord said. This is what God answered to Job. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Every time you complain, you are obscuring God's plans with words without knowledge. In other words, you are talking what you don't know. You are in way over your head. Some of us are complaining about unanswered prayers in your life, unanswered petitions. I'm going to tell you right now, you ought to bless God for every unanswered prayer in your life. The greatest unanswered prayer in this world was Jesus Christ himself when he said, take this cup from me. Thank God he didn't answer that prayer or none of you would be here right now. You better be glad for unanswered prayer because I'm going to tell you why. Because, 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 you know, every unanswered prayer, some of us are complaining about it, but please be careful. You're just not wise enough to justify your complaint. You just don't, don't know all that God knows. Don't you know that God God answers our prayers exactly the way that we would have answered them if we knew everything that he knows about the universe and the earth and if we were the same today and yesterday and forever and if we knew the end from the beginning we would answer our prayers the same way that God answers those prayers. And he told Job, he said, oh, who is it that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? And then watch what he told Job. He said, brace yourself like a man. In other words, whew, another version says, gird up your loins. Do you know why people girded up their loins in that, in that region, in that past? It is because they were getting ready to fight. They were getting ready to run or an action of some sort. And what God is telling Job around my Way, they would say throw up your hands boy those are fighting words you you offended my character you 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 challenged me right now with your words you're complaining against God for where you find yourself and the things you're going through is a direct challenge to his wisdom and so he told Job gird up your loins brace yourself like a man and he said I will question you and you shall answer me. In other words, I want to know if you have enough wisdom to know how to run this world. I want to know if you know all there is to know about the universe or are you just focused on your own satisfaction and your own happiness and your own lusts and your own comfort. Where were you, the Lord said, when I set the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? Come on, Job. You think you're wiser than I am? Well, stand up like a man. Stand to me now and answer my questions. You think you know how to run this universe better than I do? Then stand up and gird up your loins and fight me like a man. 
And after God was done with his response, Job came back and answered the Lord in chapter 42. And he said, you asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? That's exactly what God asked him. He said, you asked that. And he said, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And then in verse 6, he says, therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Finally, Job came to the conclusion, I'm just not wise enough to challenge God to how, for how he runs this universe. Oh God, let that same spirit get a hold of your church in 2022. Let that same repentant spirit get a hold of us. Let us repent in dust and ashes for our many complaints as though we've forgotten your many benefits to us. As though we've forgotten that you've been faithful, that you've been good, that you've been providential. As if we've forgotten. Israel learned the hard way how costly their complaint was. You can't look into the history of Israel without seeing a people who were saturated with the spirit of complaint. The people of God had chosen, led out of Egypt, saw God cause 10 epic plagues, plagues against one of the most powerful humans the world had ever seen. God parted the Red Sea for them, brought them out of Egypt, partly with the Egyptians' wealth, Egyptians' wealth, led them with a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke during the day, fed them manna, gave them water out of a rock. Yet 10 times the Bible said they tested God in the desert. They tested God in the desert. God had been so good to them. In Exodus chapter 14, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? And they were a little hood, you know. And then it, in Exodus 15, and the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Exodus 16. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Exodus 17. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. In Exodus just one verse later. And the people thirsted there for water and the people complained against Moses over and over again. The people of Israel forgot God's goodness and 40 years later God is now providing manna in the desert food they had never known angelic food amen but they get a craving for meat and guess what they did in numbers 11 manna just wasn't enough now their hunger is met and their thirst is met but now they, 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 they just get a hungering for meat and they said oh this manna thing every single day manna 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 we want more and so in numbers 11 the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving so the children of Israel also wept again and said who will give us meat to eat we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt the cucumbers the melons the leeks the onions and the garlic I'm going to tell you if you're going to complain onions is not the thing you ought to complain about 
They said, but now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. They complained against the manna that God had sent to them. And sometime later, Korah and his sons rebelled against Moses and Aaron. And the Lord caused the earth to swallow them up for their rebellion. The people ran. They were frightened by this. You would think that they would be in such shock that they would dare not speak against God. But listen to what happens in number 16 on the next day. The next day after what? The next day after they had just seen Korah and his sons be swallowed up by the earth and they ran and they were afraid for their lives and they were swallowed up because they had complained and the next day, the next day all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron saying you have killed the people of the Lord. It was just complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining. I'm going to tell you something. Many of them were killed because of their complaining. A whole generation of them were left in the desert, not going into the promised land specifically because they complained. God was so irate at their grumbling spirit. He had just had enough. He had just had enough. And now I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, well, preacher, but that was Old Testament. That was the way God dealt with the people in the Old Testament. That has nothing to do with us in the time of grace. Well, I beg to differ. I bring you to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. It says, all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. If there's anybody that's at the end of the ages, it's this generation right now. And I'm telling you what Paul said. He said those things, which things? The things about Israel and so forth in the Old Testament, they were written as examples. They were written for our admonition. And before you feel like, well, that could be a whole bunch of things. It's everything. But look at the immediate context. What exactly was he talking about? and what was written for our admonition. You just go one verse earlier and you'll see it. Two verses. It says, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. That's verse 10. The very next sentence says, now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition. What was all these things? It was them who stood up and complained against God, who complained against his sovereignty, who grumbled and murmured and they were destroyed by the destroyer and all those things were written for you and for me to admonish us. Ladies and gentlemen, when you live your life with a complaining spirit, this is a symptom of a deeply rooted spiritual problem. What is that problem? It is a failure to trust the goodness of God, the providence of God. God in your life. Do all things without complaining, the Bible said. What is the all things that Paul is referring to? On a macro level, he means just that. 
all things, all things. But if we want to get more specific, let's look at the immediate context to get a better clue. Just a couple of verses before that. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. The immediate context of that verse is that we ought to work out our salvation. Do we even know what that means? What does it mean that, uh, that we need to work out our salvation? What it means is that whatever God worked in, it is God who works in us both to do and to will. He worked that in us. The will is the desire. The do is the ability for those who are going, this Christian walk is just too hard. You better check yourself. You better check yourself because a heart that is regenerated, God puts the will and the do in you. He works it in you. But now, that will and the do, you what he worked in you, you've got to work it out. God have mercy. Somebody said, is that not work? You know, is that not uh, uh, salvation by works? No, it's not. You don't work for salvation. You work from salvation. You don't work to be saved. You are saved. Therefore, you work. Hey, everybody that's born of God will obey his commandments because God has put in you the will and the do. You come before God with a heart that says, not my will, but thine be done. Oh, God, what do I have to do? Where do I have to go? How do I work out my I'm saved now, but now how do I work out my salvation? You were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You were created in Christ Jesus. How do you work out your salvation? How do you give evidence that God has worked in you the will and the do for his good pleasure? You work. Salvation is work. Salvation is movement. Salvation is action. This is the evidence of our salvation. We are commanded to follow peace with all men and holiness. Holiness is not something that's static, that just gets on you. You've got to follow it. You've got to pursue it every single day of your life. You've got to watch your tongue. Watch your mouth. Watch your clothing. Watch the way you walk. Watch the way you talk. Watch the way you act. This is following holiness. This is how you work out your salvation. You know what else? It tells you you ought to love one another. It tells you you ought to study to show yourself approved. You ought to serve. You ought to greet each other. You ought to do good. You ought to bless. You ought to forgive and pray and persevere and give liberally and give cheerfully and preach and abstain from worldly lusts and do the work of an evangelist. These are action terms. This is how you work out your salvation. You ought to not neglect the assembling of yourself as such is the manner of some. You ought to come to the house of God. You're commanded to praise. You're commanded to worship. You're commanded to love each other. This is working out your salvation. 
You know what's, what else is in there? Prayer time with the Lord. Coming to prayer service. Giving to the house of God. This is all a part of working out your salvation. And it's in that context that Paul says, do all things without complaining. Choir practice again. I've got to wake up. Now we've got this dumb Daniel fast we have to do at the church. How many soy burgers am I going to eat this time? That's exactly what Daniel had, soy burgers. Work it out. Now, Paul, what is the antidote to our complaint? Well, he himself tells you. Just a couple of chapters later, he said, I have learned in whatever state that I am to be content. I know how to be abased, but I also know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. I'm going to tell you right now, Paul was not a televangelist. Paul was not into the prosperity gospel. I'm going to tell you right now. That was one preacher that knew how to be hungry, knew how to be abased, both to abound and to suffer need. He said, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Learn from Jesus, oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a slam to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Peter said, for this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges rightly. He said, I went before you. This is what Jesus did. This is the example that you should follow. That he was cursed. He was afflicted. He was beat. He was talked about. He was lied on if there was anybody that could have complained it was him but he said he did not revile in return he did not he did not work it out where he was offering bad for evil for evil it says of him he did not open up his mouth lastly in the book of Habakkuk there was a man who began to complain about his people he had a right to complain all right I mean they were taking Israel, and they were smashing their kids on rocks, the Assyrians. They were, they were, they were raping their virgins. 
The Assyrians were taking the people, had taken the people captive, raping their virgins. They were sending them to the slaughter, killing their men. It was said of the Assyrians that their that their soldiers were as fast as leopards and as strong as lions. It was a cruel people. It was them who invented crucifixion. That's how they killed their enemies. They were a cruel people. And yet the Bible tells us Habakkuk went before the Lord and he said, Oh Lord. Lord, when, when are you going? When are we going to stop seeing this? I thought we were your people. I, I thought we were the apple of your eye, and yet you have dealt with us unjustly. Look, a people that are worse than us. Look at them; they're evil. They're full of iniquity. And why would you allow them to talk to us and treat us this way, Lord? Till when? Till when? And the Lord answered back, and He said, "For the Lord is in His." holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. You better be silent before you talk against God and your lot in life and where you're at. He said, let the earth be silent before I've got a plan. He said, I've got a plan for them, for their evil way. They're also going to perish. Don't you worry about them, but you're not exempt. You're also a sinner. You've also committed some atrocities. He said, you don't have a right to complain against me. I know exactly where I have you and what I'm doing. Don't you ever stand up to me with words without knowledge and in the end Habakkuk in the last chapter had to stand up and sing a song and this is the song that he sang he said though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit be on the vines and though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation, the Lord God, you are my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. He will make me dance before him. He will give me the strength to be content in whatsoever state that I am. He'll give me the strength to go through the valley. He'll give me the strength to go through difficult times even when I feel like I'm abandoned. God, you are my strength. I will sing. He sang in the midst of his affliction. And somebody said, well, preacher, you're just Pentecostal this message up. You're just taking this thing out of context. No, I'm not. You know how I'm not? Because the Bible tells you it was a song. It says to the chief musician with my stringed instruments, he brought out the guitar and he said, I've got a song. I've got to sing in the midst of my affliction, in the midst of my trial, in the midst of my tribulation. I've got to praise and I've got to get it out. I've got to dance that the world can't take from me. I've got something that no circumstance can rob from me. No hell can take from me the joy that I have. This world did not give it. And this world can't take it away. Somebody in here, you've got to just make up in your mind that the gun goose, my spirit, rebuke it in the name of Jesus and say, I've got the find my strength 
in God. Musicians come. I'll never forget about a, a week ago or so, I was looking through some of my uh, old pictures. And I have a video in there that reminded me exactly of the day when I uh, got sole custody of these two fine-looking young men you see right there. Um, it was May 5th, which is very ironic because May 5th of 2012 was the day that I heard the words, I want a divorce. Just several years later, I was over at the courthouse asking, pleading, if uh, the judge will, would allow me to have, amen. And uh, the Lord was with me on that day. But I remember uh, I had no representation. I had no lawyer. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, the Lord was with me. Walked into that courtroom, my knees were shaking. One of the best lawyers in all of Phoenix was opposing me on that day. My hands would shake at the podium, or at my seat there. My hands would shake. But I remember the, the night before, I didn't know how to bring this up to my boys. Uh, they, they were with me, but, you know, I mean, it was their mother. It was a woman we, we loved and still love to this day. And uh, I didn't know how to present it to them. And I remember at our nightly devotional at that time, I, I went and I talked to them and I said, hey, uh, guys, I, I got to tell you something. I think that it's good that I'm honest with you. I said, tomorrow I'm going to court and um, I'm fighting to see if uh, you, can, you can be with me uh, officially because they were already with me. They hadn't been with me, but officially, legally won't fight that you were with me and that broke me to even say that. I didn't want them to think that, you know, somehow I was against their mother. I, I There was no way. So uh, they didn't say a word that night and uh, we prayed and I remember going back to my room and I said, oh God, what am I doing? I don't know if I'm ready. That spirit of gongusmas got a hold of me. And why? And I've given all my life to you. And I've tithed. And I've never backslid in my life. I mean, God, I don't even wear shorts. I don't want women lusting after my knees. I don't know about my knees, though. And uh, that, that day came, finally came, sent them off to school, and I was so nervous. I 
went, the Lord was with me. And I was so excited, but I was so nervous to meet him on that day. I've asked them if, if they remember this, and I, I think they said that they did not. But I remember uh, I was so nervous, but I was sitting at the counter, kitchen counter, when they both walked in. First it was Caleb, and then 10 minutes later, Micah walked in. And I was sitting there, and I was praying, and I was saying, oh, God, I don't know how they're going to react to this news. I really don't. I... Caleb walked in first, and the very first thing out of his mouth, I thought maybe he had forgotten. It was just a one-time thing. I mentioned it in passing. We didn't discuss it again. But the very first words out of his mouth were not hi or I'm home. He opened up the door and he looked straight at me and said, how did it go today? And I looked over and I think my voice kind of cracked. And I said, um, they, 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 yeah, I, I, got, I got soul custody. Caleb didn't say a word. He put his backpack on. And he went right upstairs, and as he was going up the stairs, I heard him whisper, yes. About 10 minutes later, here comes Micah. And if you know us, you know that's the one. said, oh, Lord, this dude didn't even smile at me till he was like three. So I said, all right, let's see. So he walked in, and it was almost the exact replica of his brother. Same exact deal. Walked in, didn't say a word, looked straight at me. I was still at the counter. And he said, Dad, how did it go today? And I said, yeah, um, soul custody grabbed his backpack went up the stairs and went yes same exact reaction and I remember while I sat at that counter I felt the Holy Ghost speak to me and said you've been complaining this whole time why me single dad single this you've given your life you've done this you don't understand the gift that I have given you. I've given you the gift of influence. Influence. There were some things that had to be let go of. Even if you love them. But the kind of ministry I have for you and the kind of ministry I have for them there were some things they couldn't be around. And I've gifted you the gift of influence. Now every time I, I see my boy, he's youth pastor for Brother Martin there at Fishers, Indiana. I see Micah texting me and saying, Dad, I, I, I want to go to such and such a conference. Dad, can I go here and can I do this? And, and I go before the Lord and I say, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry for ever complaining about my lot in life. You've been so faithful, so providential, 
so good. Things I had no way of seeing, things I had no way of knowing. And I know some of you right now are there. You're looking at some things and going, how and when and why and why me? And God is saying, you better get rid of that spirit. I have ordered your steps. I know where you ought to be. I know where you are now. So everyone lift your hands right now in the name of Jesus. remember my dad my grandma died you know she died at, she was probably uh, early 70s at the time and she was a strong woman but she died suddenly they rushed her to the hospital she had had a heart attack or a stroke of some sort and the day after I mean she was still strong up in bed and I remember she would ask us, please, please, she said, please take me home. She would say, take me home. Get me out of here. Take me home. She would say, don't let them put me on that thing. Take me home. She said, I feel good. Everything's fine. And everything seemed to be fine. Um, the day of, she was happy and in good mood and in a good mood. And um, The day, that night, we were supposed to take her home the next day and they said we're going to keep her over one more night to observe the next day it just tore us up that morning when we got there they said she's she's in critical condition she had had about three strokes on in the uh, overnight she said she's in critical so she, they had her on that uh, on the deal on the tube I, I went in there and I I'm so happy about this memory. I'm the, I'm the last person to ever make her react. She smiled at me from that. She was supposed to be unconscious. And no one could get her to react. And then I got near her and I grabbed her hand and she wasn't moving. And I said, Grandma, you can't leave me. Because who's going to cook that rice and beans that you cook? She opened up her eyes and had the biggest smile. And I thought to myself, oh, yeah, she's going to make it. She's going to make it. You know, my dad was a man of faith. We prayed. The whole church prayed. We had the district praying. And we thought, this is going to happen. And I saw how it was breaking his family. And uh, that afternoon, I remember when the doctor walked in. And the whole the family was there and they, all the uh, brothers had been weeping and for their mom and the news came I'm so sorry we did everything we could but we weren't able to save your mom I remember seeing grown men grown men at that hospital there, there's about five or six brothers grown men on the floor at the hospital weeping over their mother she had raised those men up as a single mom. But I'll never forget, just as a young man, when I saw my dad at the news, he was so broken. But he knelt right in the lobby 
and he raised both hands up and he said the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away blessed be the name of the Lord I wish that same spirit would get a hold of somebody right now you may not understand it all until you get to the by and by but something in you ought to say, I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to sit here, oh Lord, and I'm going to be content in whatsoever state that I find myself in. Whether it's high, whether it's low, whether it's a valley, you know what way I take. You know what is best for me. I will not complain. All over this building, this altar is open. I wonder if you could find a place right now and say, God, I don't want to complain about my situation. I'm so sorry. I've been grumbling. I've been murmuring about some stuff in my life. I've, I've felt certain ways, and I didn't know this whole time you've been working it for my good. I didn't know this whole time you've got all things under control, so here I am. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my complaint. I'm sorry for murmuring. I'm sorry for my grumble. I'm sorry for always complaining before you. I will accept my lot in life. You have been good. You have been faithful. You have never failed me. You know what road I take. And your will, your perfect will will be done. I live for your will and your will alone. God, I'm so sorry for complaining about my marriage, about my ministry, about my family, about my children, about my, my, my account. I, I see others who are prospering more than me, and I think, man, I should be there. But I'm so sorry. I'm right where I need to be. I'm so sorry. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. You've been so good. You've been good. I won't complain. I won't complain. I won't complain. I'm here.
somebody around you and just pray for them.